Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life, if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is September the 9th, 2020, and this is episode 2727, is that right? 2727 of the Survival Podcast, and I've got one for you today on becoming an author. What does it actually take? What is, what is the back-end process actually like? What are the pitfalls of hiring a company to help you publish versus publishing yourself? And why is all of that a survival topic? We'll be talking about all of that and more with Pat Watson, our special guest, who has a really cool new book out as well. Though we're going to spend 90% of the conversation, actually 95% of the conversation, talking about the author process versus the book itself. So we'll have Pat on in just a moment. Before we do, let's go ahead and hear from our two sponsors of the day. Sponsor of the day number one today is Western Botanicals. I have always been a believer in herbs. And I've been a believer in herbs because I've seen the power that herbs have to heal. The first time I ever saw an herb heal anything, I remember my grandfather when I was a really young kid. I was on summer vacation at his place in Pennsylvania, and he had done a really nasty job on the inside of, of his index finger. Uh, with It was like a, a cut. It was almost like, like he had slivered a piece off, and it looked really gnarly. And I remember he took some comfrey and plantain, he put it on that, and he put a bandage over it to hold the herb against it. And I remember by the end of the week that it was almost completely healed, and I was like, wow, my grandfather is a sorcerer, man. He can do things. And so I've always understood this from a very young age about the power of herbs. So when I found Western Botanicals and they wanted to sponsor the show, it was really a perfect match because they're a real company with real people that really care about you. Check them out today at westernbotanicals.com. Next up. You know, we call it the other precious metal, ammunition, copper jacketed lead. Bulk ammo is the place to get your uh, ammo in bulk. They do what they say and say what they do, right? Bulkammo.com, all the common calibers available. And what's really amazing to me about bulk ammo is when you order something, how quick it ends up at your door. Um, there's, There's a lot of reasons to stay out of stores. COVID is probably not one of them other than the lunacy that goes with them. But stores are just annoying, like brick and mortar stores, especially big box stores and all. I try to spend as little time as as I can. And something like ammo, you know, you you either deal with some idiot at Walmart saying, is this for a pistol or a rifle? And you're like, well, it's a three thirty eight Winchester dummy. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be putting that in a pistol. Uh, or you, you just can't find what you're looking for, or you, ha- you know you have to make time to go. Where with bulk ammo, you know you can order your ammo today, and before the weekend, it'll be at your front door. Check them out today at bulkammo.com. Remember, both Western Botanicals and Bulk Ammo support the Members Support Brigade uh, with discount programs that you can learn more about in your Members Brigade account if you have one. If you don't, maybe you should become a member. Those are just two two companies of over 60 that provide discounts to you there in the Member Support Brigade. If you want to learn more of that, about that, go to thesurvivalpodcast.com and click on Members. Before I bring Pat out, I just want to let you know, I've been doing a lot more videos lately. And I've been putting out uh, a video or two a day now for a couple weeks uh, on YouTube, and it's going really well. And uh, so if you've never subscribed to our YouTube channel, you might want to, or you might want to check us out at Library TV, LBRY.TV. You can just look for Jack Spearco there. You'll be able to find me no problem. I'll put a link in the show notes for you as well. In fact, I 
kind of prefer Library to YouTube in a lot of ways because they're distributed, they use cryptocurrency, and they don't believe in censorship. But uh, YouTube's really not censoring me yet. I'm surprised, but they're not. And uh, by publishing to YouTube, I get in both places. But what I wanted to talk to you about is I forgot to uh, put a link in yesterday's uh, show notes. I have added it, but I'm going to do it again today. For those of you that produce your own videos, of two things. Number one is there's an app that I mentioned yesterday. And it is, I'm not going to say it's perfect, but it's really, really good. And it does something that I've always felt the iPhone native you know, camera app should do. And it doesn't, which is allow you to be recording a video, need to stop, but not want to have to edit videos back together, and then simply say, resume. So pause and resume recording. That's it, it doesn't make any sense to me that, that, that Apple, now in what, the 12th generation of the iPhone or whatever, still hasn't added that feature. It's just, there's things I like about Apple products, but there are some things that I believe Apple refuses to do that would be easy to do almost out of spite, almost out of we will tell the customer what they want instead of listening to the customer. But the beauty of the world of apps is almost anything you want your phone to do, if it can do it, there's probably an app for that. This app is called Video Cam Pro. And when I found it, all I was looking for was that ability to pause and resume. It does more than that. When you finish recording a video with it, it saves that video into its own folder. To be able to put it on YouTube or whatever, you need to export it to your, uh, your, your photo library which is really easy to do. You say export a photo library, click, done. So it's not hard. But as long as you don't delete it from there, you can go back later and resume recording to a video you did last week or last month. So I was thinking about doing a video today maybe on, I'm going to do some smoked uh, pork tenderloin. And I've got these new this new smoker tube from Cave Tools. So I think it's really cool. And I, I almost forgot, hey, dummy, you have this available now, so you can show how to set up the smoke tube and do all this, and you won't have to edit because otherwise, like, then you're downloading it to your computer off of the phone, and then you're editing, and then you, the big thing with video editing for those of you that hadn't hadn't done it, the editing's not hard. It's not once you know how to do it, and it's not doesn't take a long time unless you're getting really fussy with stuff. It's once you're done, and now you want that video to actually be usable. Well, now it's all cut up and played with, and and what have you, and in pieces parts. And it's in your editing profile, uh, program. So now you click render. And, you know, a HD video that's 20 minutes long can take hours sometimes to render out. And it ties up your computer, and it's just a pain in the ass. I don't do high production value videos. I just want to be able to, like, piece this all together. YouTube used to have a thing that you could do it in their editor with, and they took it away for no good reason other than they wanted to. Well, now with this... I can put those videos together, and so can you. Again, it's called Video Cam Pro. You can get it on the App Store uh, for free. They don't even have a premium version of it, which bugs me a little bit because if you don't know how to make money, I don't know how you're going to stay in business, but whatever, it's it's there. It doesn't stick any ads or anything in your, 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 uh, your videos. It's just awesome. Again, Video Cam Pro is the link in the show notes. And the other thing is audio is everything. The quality of audio. If you've listened to any of my recent uh, videos, you notice an upgrade in audio quality. Uh, the little microphone system that I found for $54 on Amazon. If you are a producer, I really recommend it. And I'm going to go ahead and do my T-SPAS uh, item of the day right now. 
because it fits in with this little intro segment here. Um, I have a, a, a new tool for you guys. It's not new. It's an old tool, but I use it all the time with my video production. It's a little tripod mount, and it is the best tripod mount for phones and other devices like that that I've ever found. It has a little clamp, a little thumb screw, and when you tighten it down, it actually holds your phone. It doesn't wobble. It doesn't shift sideways, and it can flip so it can do horizontal or vertical video. If you're doing stuff on Instagram for like IGTV and all, it needs to be vertical. Uh, even though I don't really like vertical video. But it's one of those things made out of plastic, but yet when you pick it up, you're like, this thing's pretty high quality. Uh, they're 10 bucks, And you for 12 bucks you can get it, plus a mini tripod, plus a little remote control that can do pause and record and, and whatever with your phone. So I think it's really a very cool little tool. And if you're a video producer, you want to check it out. And remember, you can always support us by doing your online shopping at tspaz.com, no matter what you buy. With that, let's go ahead and get our special guest on. We're going to talk about publishing books and how that fits in with modern survivalism as well. With that, hey, Pat, man, welcome to the Survival Podcast. Oh, awesome. Thanks so much for having me. This will be my second time here, and I am thrilled to be back. I'm glad to have you back. We have you back on a totally different subject this time. Uh, we're going to talk about publishing a book in 2020 and what goes on on the back-end process behind it and some other things. Um, before we do that, though, there's probably people who didn't hear your first interview. They don't know who or what a Pat Watson is. <laughs> so uh, tell us a little bit about your background. Take us back to, like, spacing out in study hall in high school or something like that, and what did you do professionally, and how did you end up in the world that you're in today? Sure. Uh, when 9-11 hit, I said, I'm joining the military. That's it. And uh, Dad was a 30-year cop, so I said, well, I want to be a cop, too. And usually you don't do that in the reverse order. You join the military, you get out, you go local. Uh, so I did those things. And a buddy of mine, when I got into a counter-drug unit, a buddy of mine sent me, I think, episode 13 of yours. And he said, you got to check this guy out. He records <laughs> in his car. It's great. He talks about survival stuff. And I was like, all right, I guess this podcast thing is pretty cool. I'll listen. So for, gosh, Jack, close to a decade now, I've been on the ride with you from – your original political viewpoints all the way through to minarchism and then into voluntarism. So I rode that road with you as well. Uh, I did a bunch of stuff for the government for about 10 years in a law enforcement and military and federal and local capacity. So I learned a lot of really cool stuff. Um, and then growing up in a, in a law enforcement family, I saw that a lot of things weren't as they seem, especially with security. So I got to see kind of this underbelly side of the world, which was, we think we're secure, but we're not. So while I was active in military and law enforcement, I it was just glaring to me all these things that kind of needed fixing or adjusting or training or information. So I, I logged thousands and thousands of case studies from my own personal life. And I actually left the military and left law enforcement for several reasons, but one of those was to pursue my passion for teaching others without being restricted by red tape or the government. So now I, uh, I have my website, UncensoredTactical.com, and I train people and I teach people, and now I'm an author about some of the stuff that I train and teach. Well, very cool. So we do have you on to talk about becoming an author. I think that's a fantastic topic for the show. Um, I, I, I think that, you know, we always have to put things in perspective as to why we talk about them and why they are a modern survival topic because somebody always, what, is this a survival topic? Uh, yeah, because... What we teach is lifestyle design. So we design resilient lifestyles. One way to do that is entrepreneurship. And, and in this day and age, becoming an author is not simple, right? But it's so much more accessible to people than it would have been, let's say, in 1985. 
Oh, so, yeah. So we have you on to talk about that process and how it can add to a person's lifestyle. So usually this all starts off with, hey, man, I got this idea. I got an idea. For a <laughs> book, man. And it runs on water. Now, anyway. Um, what do you think? What do you what think? What do you think, right? Yeah. So uh, once you have this earth-shattering idea for your book, you know, what comes next? What's the first step? Sure. Well, a lot of people say that they want to write, but they don't really have a topic or a title or a, or a course laid out. So for those people, I just I can't help you. <laughs> a lot of people also yeah. will say, well, I want to write about this. Okay, great. You can have a whole book laid out in your head, and it means nothing until you start writing. So of course, number one is to write, period. And if you don't start writing at least an outline within, your, within the next 24 hours, I don't believe that you truly want to write. I believe that you want people to think that you're going to write. So my recommendation is, and some people like to write by the seat of their pants, but my recommendation is start an outline, get yourself 10 or 20 bullet points, and then start expanding those with actual written chapters. And of course, you can do this on your phone while you're at your day job in a text file. You can do this on you know, Microsoft Word at home. You can spend 20 minutes a night writing most of a chapter, and you can get a complete rough draft or at least half of a rough draft done really, really quick. I mean, this is one of the few things that requires zero overhead and minimal time and minimal training just to get your story on paper or on a, a notepad file. So number one is start writing. Number two is, is get that outline finished and get at least a few chapters down. So I, like, honestly, I didn't want to hear it from myself. I was like, oh, I want to write. Oh, I want to write. And I said, you know what? Let's just stop. Until I get a chapter down or two or three, I'm not a writer. And then I did have two or three, and it just, it was kind of like seeing results in the gym. You're like, oh, I finally see the, yeah, now I'm going to keep going. That feels good. So telling people, hey, I, I'm on my fourth chapter was so much better than saying, oh, I really, I got this really good idea. So just get started. So that's always the first step, right, to, to just get started. And I'm a big fan of the old phrase, no no uh, battle plan survives contact with the enemy. And that, that goes far beyond battle plans. So <laughs> what are some of the first speed bumps along the way once you, you, you get into that, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this, and you actually get started? So this is a, a surprise. that it, Sometimes it's tough to get started writing. Um, but I, I knew all the content, and it was all laid out in my head already. So for me, the biggest problem was actually not writing too much. So I had like a big, a big poster board in front of me with all different bullet points of what could I talk about or what could I write a chapter about or what story could I tell? What technique can I speak about? And it was just got close to a hundred bullet points. And I thought this is not going to work. So my first struggle was keeping the book under a hundred chapters or under a thousand pages. So I struggled with, uh, taking good chunks of solid content and throwing them away. And saving them for a later project. So it was really hard for me to, I mean, my, my, I think my book is 23 or 24 chapters, something like that. So it was hard to keep that small. Oh, that was a, the first speed bump. Uh, let's see what else I got here. I got my outline in front of me. Uh, another speed bump was the writing itself was tough sometimes. Um, so I would get an edit back from the, from the editor, which we'll get into in a little bit. But I'd get an edit back and I'd say, huh. They want me to change this one thing, uh, but it's like you're working with like a really like a 300-page-long jigsaw puzzle. So they'd send me back an edit, and they'd go, "Hey, you might want to adjust this or move this chapter to the end." So I'd do that, and then the big speed bump was, "Oh crap! 
I moved this one chapter and everything I alluded to in that chapter that I'm going to see later in the book, I now have to go back and finish and like kind of like the old telephone operators where the, the wires are there. You have to take the beginning of the wire and put it somewhere else and then readjust all these lines of reference throughout the book. So that was a big struggle too, was every small edit often has something else in the book that I'll have to link to or re-explain or move around. Uh, let's see, another speed bump here was, uh, and this wasn't on every edit, but sometimes my edited manuscript would come back and I would be fixing mistakes that the editors made, uh, which it wasn't, sometimes wasn't a fault of theirs and sometimes was. Um, and there'd be, there'd be times that I'd read through and I'd go, okay, I'm reading this whole chapter start to finish. And I'd read the whole thing and I'd go, wait, you know, I had a really good line in there somewhere that was either really funny or really smart or really cool. And I'd go back and read it again. And I'm like, where did that go? So I'd go back and see my edits and I'd go, you know, I don't remember approving them, taking that out. And I'd have to find what I had in some file somewhere and then recut and paste it and put it back in without kind of a notification. So it really was, it really, it really was the fact that I had to be on top of the other people that were working on my project. So kind of like you say with your money, there's no other, there's no one else out there that's going to care for it as much as you do. So you have to be on top of it. You have to, like an insane level of detail. You have to go back and track everything. Okay. And, and how long did it take to write your book? Hmm. I, I like this one. This one has multiple answers. Okay. So from the idea to getting published was about three years. Okay. From sitting down and saying, let me get an outline ready. Um, and then just finish it. So getting the outline ready. So saying, I'm going to sit down. Here's my paper. Here's my pen. All the way through, here's a book on my shelf. That was about three years. Just the outline itself took a couple months, um, but that was because I wasn't working on it every day. But I would say, okay, here's my 30 chapters I really like. Okay, let me expand a couple of these with some extra bullet points. Okay, let me expand a couple of those. You know what? Let's take that whole chapter out. Okay, let's rework it. Oh, what if the title of the book is this? Then I would have to put that chapter in. Okay, well, what if I change the title to that? Like, how am I going to structure this? So the outlining took three, four, maybe, maybe even five months. From the outline to getting most of a rough draft done, that was about eight or nine months. And then from having a completed first draft and then getting that published in paper was about nine months. So there's a bunch of different answers in there, but it, it certainly is not a fast process. What were some of the things you struggled with during the writing process itself? Uh, well, time is tough. So I'm still working a 40 hour job and I, I like my employment, but it's, it's private sector. Um, so after 40 hours a week, it's tough to come home and say, okay, let me read until my eyeballs are bleeding. So that was, um, that was something I struggled with for the writing process. Uh, I had to learn basically a new language too. So I'd send a file in and I would, I wait a few days. I get it back from a, a, one of the several editors and they'd say, it was kind of like broken English. They'd say, readjust and add and like there wasn't a lot of grammar it was like short kind of cliff notes where they'd say this chapter adjust move to and i'm like wait a second now i have to decipher what they mean you know is it good or bad do i have to decide to keep this in or decide to take it out and do i have to explain why i decided to keep it in so those were some things that uh, i surprisingly struggled with for the writing process so you you didn't you did self-publish but you didn't do it like by yourself you you decided to work with a company um, what exactly did they bring to the table? What did they help you with? Sure. So if you're, if you're going to write a book, you got, you kind of have to know a couple things. You have to know what you want it to do for you. And it could do several things. And I think I have that listed later in my outline here. Um, and you have to know where your strengths and weaknesses are. So 
if you're pretty good with telling that story or if you're pretty good with outlining, you might not need help with those things. So I needed help with the actual grammar and editing and using quotations in the right spot and formatting. So all those things I lacked. I was able to type for hours on end to get the story out, but I wasn't very good at cleaning it. And I did want a little bit of professional feedback on the shaping of it, like making sure the head's on top of the body and the feet are on the bottom, things like that. Hmm. So getting that story in the right order uh, it really helped having a professional take a look at that. Um, so using knowing what you want for a company, uh, some of the pros and cons would be, gosh, number one was the big pro was that my completed rough draft, I could have put in a PDF format and sold through my website. And it would have had good content, and people would have said, yeah, it makes sense. But now I have a professional, clean, smooth, coherent story that when I hand to someone, I can say, this is my life's work. This is my business. I'm a professional. Here is my manuscript. Instead of saying, oh, give me a couple bucks, and I'll tell you some of my secrets in this PDF. So it's a completely different level. So that was a big pro of working with a professional company. Uh, one of the cons would be the process could have been a little quicker on my end. I could have done some of the work faster, um, but like, you know, life is tough for everybody this year. Um, but the process really got expensive towards the end. So there was a certain point in the beginning where I paid them a bunch of value and they gave me a bunch of value in return and the book got better and better. And then there was a point where I hit that limit of the book is basically done hmm. and now I'm, I'm still paying my company because I, I used a, pub, a company that helps you self-publish. Okay. So it's kind of a kind of a reverse. Usually the normal publishing is they pay you, you write the book, and they get a cut of it forever. Yeah. This one was I'm paying them to help me get it published, and then once it's published, I own everything and I get everything in return. Sure. So I'm paying them for this process, and the book got really good. And towards the end, there were so many little tidbits of admin and so many design changes we were waiting to come back, and you know little pieces here and there that really got dragged out that I thought. Oh boy! Well, this is this is getting expensive, and the book is as good as it's going to get. Mm. So that was a big con uh, when you pay someone for their for timeline, and you're waiting on them to finish a project. That's, that kind of gets a little frustrating. Sure, at the end. sure. Uh, another big one, uh, which I have some notes also later in the show about that. It's kind of a pro and a con. You lose a lot of control when you're working with a publishing company, and even the company that I used, they prided themselves on their marketing was. We care about your book as much as you, and you're always in complete control. You always have the ability to say, no, I'm going to keep that in, or no, I don't like that change. And while that was true, there were times that it was really, really, really suggested that I do something a certain way. Mm -hmm. And I also, I wasn't really, yes, I was in charge of deciding which changes we kept and which ones we didn't, but I wasn't the, like, I wasn't the owner, like if I use a sports reference, I wasn't like the owner or the head coach. I was more of a quarterback. So I got to decide who to throw to, but I wasn't like, hey, take that out of editing and send it to this person and do that. I had none of that. It was, hey, here's our process. Here's how we're going to do it. And they would say, send us this at this time for this reason. And I would. And they'd send it back and go, okay, now what do you think? So I wasn't in control of the process, but I was in control of kind of the shaping of the content of the book, if that makes sense. So it was a pro and a con that I got their help, but I wasn't as in control as, as you would be if you completely self-published. Um, and probably the biggest con was a distance collaboration. Uh, there's, it was really tough doing everything via email with the occasional phone call once a month or, you know, once every other month. So it was, they'd send me an email and they'd say, here's the results of our recent edit. Get this back to us within a week. 
And so there wasn't really a lot of time to go to get everybody in the room and go, okay, you're my first editor. You're doing content. You're my next editor. You're doing grammar. I want all of us to be on the same page that this is what I'm looking for. And this is the reason I had that chapter in that area. So I couldn't do that. So the big con was because it's distance work. It was, they send me a thing. They say ABC. I send it back. I go DEF. And like that, that interaction was really lacking a little bit just because of the distance. So I'm not loving a lot of this. <laughs> yeah, it was would, tough. It really was tough. Would you use this company again? Let's say you decide to write a second book. Would you go back to the same people? Well, there's a couple variables. One is this was really tough. Some, a lot of it was my fault because just of timing. and the, It really is a highly technical manual that I wrote. So a lot of the photos um, had to be referred to very specifically and in a very specific order. It's kind of like... If you're writing a book on brain surgery and you have photos in it, you can't just kind of go, well, the story's good enough. So because I was teaching something highly technical, it took a lot out of me. Okay. Um, my next two books that I already have outlined, um, now I'm addicted, uh, next two books that are already outlined are going to be text only. So certainly I think that's going to knock off easily six or seven months of the publishing pro uh, no, process. No, I can see that. I, I've Definitely. done enough with content production that I know when you start editing Video, pictures, yes. anything that is appearance-oriented, the time consumption is huge. Yeah. The other thing is I'll be, I'll be a little more prepared. This one, mm -hmm. I was about 80% done, maybe 70% or 80% done with my manuscript when I approached them, which is another note. If you're, if you're going to approach any type of publishing company, whether it's standard or self-publishing assistance, um, a lot of people won't take you seriously until you have several chapters on paper. Okay. So I went to them with almost a finished product. Um, but I was missing a lot of the photos from the case studies. So a big problem was going out into the world and saying, okay, this whole week I have to keep my eyes open for a vehicle gate that's chained together with a padlock that I can take a photo of. Okay. So that really slowed me down. So if I were to go back to this company, um, I would have a lot more of my ducks in a row ahead of time, and I would know which parts of the process I struggled with, and I would know which parts uh, take them a long time. So I would be able to steer a little better in the future. Um, I might go back to them, um, but it, it, it certainly wasn't what I expected. So much of it was very much um, surprising and frustrating and you know, difficult to work with. It is not an easy task doing this. And I think maybe you are on to something with the uh, the photo editing and, and reference to photos. That's complex. It's probably, even for a company like that, probably not something they do that often. Yeah, it was a lot of work for me. It definitely would have been a lot of work for the editor that doesn't know the skill set and doesn't know the content. I mean, there are there are still there are still errors in the book, and I can tell you where a few of them are. But like, there's still some that say, "See the photo above," and it's like two pages later is the photo. Mm. Like some of those things just happen. And there was a certain point at the end where I, I had to say, "Listen, this book's going out next month. I don't care. Like, we just have to get this out." And it's real. I think it's really good, really, really good. But yeah, there's certainly errors still. And uh, in the future, I would do this differently. See, that's, that, that's what I'm not loving. I'm not loving, I'm paying the bills and you're telling me what I have to do. Yeah. That's not what I'm not loving here. Would you recommend them to somebody else? I mean... Uh, it's kind of like, uh, I think I have one more month left of their service, so that's kind of like uh, complaining about a waiter before your food gets there. I so got I'm going to hold off on that one. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. So... Um, What should the audience look at? Should they, if they're going to choose a company to help them get published, like what should they be looking for? Sure, there's there's two things that I would say you need to look for before you start looking for someone to help you with this. Number one, you should know where your strengths and weaknesses are, 
And like I said, if you work for a company and your job is to get things on paper and to gr- make them grammatically correct and use quotes in the right spot, like if you if you can massage your own text, that will help you decide which company to choose and what services from them to choose or to self-publish just completely on your own if your strengths are in the right areas. So know where your strengths and weaknesses are. If you want, like my company offered a lot of things that I didn't take advantage of because I didn't need them. So uh, knowing where your strength, strengths and weaknesses are can really help you make that decision. Uh, number two, you have to know what you want your book to do for you. And I'd like to dig into that a little bit because yeah. a, lot of, a lot of people think, oh, I want to be published. Or, oh, I want to write as a writer to make money. Well, let's let's think of all the different ways a book on your shelf that you wrote can help you. So if you just want to be published, number one, I just want to be a published author. If you want your kids to see that mommy or daddy wrote a book and look, there it is on the shelf and I'm so proud of myself and I can put author on my resume, then no. Don't use a company. Don't go to a publisher, whether it's a normal publisher or a self-publisher. Um, just write your manuscript in a text file. Go to Amazon, and you can have a book in your hands within the week if you just want to be published. And you'll save a ton of money and a ton of time. So that's number one. Uh, number two, a lot of people do what's called a business card book. So that is, hey, I'm going to write this short ebook or short PDF or short paper book, and I'll tell, like uh, in real estate, like I'll tell all these stories about the people who I helped find them a home. And then I'll publish it, and then people will say, oh, I'm looking for a home. Let me buy that book. And, oh, it's those are some good stories. Oh, let me call that re- realtor and I'll have them help me find my home. So the book serves as a marketing tool to send people to your business. I did want that for my book. Uh, another way is I want to write to make money. So I want a book that produces money. Well, that's very different. So when you're choosing your publishing company or when you're choosing what you want out of your book or how you shape your book, uh, if you want a book that makes money, you need to have a huge audience that's very that's wide or varied or actively spending money in the realm that you're going to be writing about. So if all, all I wanted to do was retire off of one book, I would not have chosen to write a book on lockpicking. So mm-hmm. uh, it will make me some money. Sure, it certainly has already a little bit, but it, it's certainly not, not a retirement. So if you want a book that makes you money, you need a large large audience that you're writing to. It should be an established audience, and you should format your book for that reason. Um, if you just want the world to hear your message, right? So I just want to put this book out in the world. I just want to help people. I just want people to hear my story so they know they're not alone. I just I just have a passion about this topic, and I just want to share it. Then, no, you probably don't need to pay a ton of money for a professional publisher. Um, and probably I think the last one I have listed here, and there's many more reasons, would be do you want to be recognized as an expert in your field? Mm. A lot of people get published as an author to specifically cite it on their resume or cite it in their works or to help them with, some of their future projects to say, look, I'm definitely an expert. Look, I wrote the freaking book on it. If that's the case, which was one of the cases for me, you certainly want it to look like it's a professional book. So if you're writing as a professional about a topic, yeah, you should probably go to a professional and go through that professionalized editing and formatting process. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think that like you do have to unpack that. Like, what do I want this to do for me? Mm -hmm. You know, if somebody wants to write, two dozen relatively short books that are going to sell on enough frequency to create a dividend for them, mm-hmm. probably self-publishing on Amazon and maybe getting somebody to do your covers. Mm-hmm. Right? Because that's ne- and it's also like, okay, is that book ever going to sit on a shelf? And I don't mean in somebody's house. I mean, is it going to sit on a shelf at, you know, whatever's left of the retail book industry? <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, if it's going to sit on a shelf, then, boy, jacket design is 
you can't tell me you've never been to a bookstore, been browsing books, and and went, huh, that looks even if they, you just it just looks cool. I'll pick it up. I'll touch it. I'll read the synopsis, right? Because it had that attractive appearance to it. If everybody that buys your book is going to buy it on Amazon, the jacket design is nowhere near as important as this is a book that's designed to be at a Barnes and Noble or, like I said, whatever. I don't even know what's left of that world, but whatever's left of that world. Mm -hmm. And I think that people that are speakers, if you're a speaker in 2020 that goes into these public events and you don't have a book, you need a book. Yeah. Like you need a book. You need a couple books because you need something to sell when you're there. But you need something like I think you were talking about with you know as an expert to to validate you on your speaker's agreement. And published author is is a big one that's kind of expected in that space. Mm -hmm. So that's something I didn't list just above was something I wanted my book to do for me was I wanted it to be a primer for people before they attend my courses that I teach. And I wanted to, it could also serve independently or in addition as a refresher after you attend my course. So to give my topics that I teach about, I wanted my students to have a chance to have more depth either before or after the training so that when they leave and they go, hey, I took your course, that was great, what, what do I do? I can go take this full textbook, this big, heavy, full-page, full-color photo textbook home and read any chapter in any order you want, throw it in the bathroom by the toilet, and when you're like, you know, I haven't read this in a while, oh, that chapter looks interesting, browse through it and go, oh, that makes sense. So I wanted mine to serve as something that when I'm speaking or teaching um, or dealing with a possible future client, I can go, here, take this. This will give you a lot more depth of understanding of what I do. Yeah, I think also like one of the lessons of info marketing that people tend to not learn is the more you build, the more you can package, the more you package, the more you can sell. So, like, if you were running a seminar, then I don't know what the, your cost of this book is or what you make off of a, an individual book, but whatever that is. Let's say that you make, I don't know, just throw a number on it, 10 bucks because it's an easy round number. You make 10 bucks for every book that you sell. Well, it would be really easy for you to jack up the price of that seminar by, like, 50 bucks, and a student leaves with a signed copy of the book. Well, the $10 book just made you... 40 more dollars, right? And, and it doesn't really matter what the numbers are. It all works out that way. Like, if you can make something you're selling worth more in the mind of the consumer by adding something else you've already done, and you don't even have to require it, because let's say somebody says, well, I, I want to go to Pat's class, but I don't want to pay for his book. I already, I already have a copy. Well, you can you know, add, the, add the signed copy of the book as an option for I don't know, $39, bucks, $39.99, whatever, and bury a little bit of the differential in it even if you don't buy it, right? Like there's all kinds of ways you can package things together, including like once you have three or four books, get all my books for X, right? Like the more you do, the more you have power when it comes to cross-selling, upselling, package selling, et cetera. Well, I can tell you I definitely organically have been a long-term member of this community and This book is a product of everything that this community has done for me. So thank you, Jack, for that, for the very long-term mentorship you've provided, either knowingly or not. But uh, that is exactly another purpose of the book. I can take this whole PDF format of my book and I can put it on a thumb drive that costs me you know, a $2 thumb drive if I buy them in bulk. And in my courses, um, something that I have been teaching, which is definitely a TSP uh, piece of value, was I want my students to have more value in return than what they paid me in curriculum as soon as they sit down in their seats to learn with me. So now the book is another 50 bucks on top of 
when they when they pay me and I can I can go, hey, you get this, you get that, you get all these physical tools I'm gonna give you, and here's a copy of my book for free that comes with the course. So that is definitely a part of it. So I'm adding value in many different aspects. So this book doesn't serve just one purpose. It serves a bunch of purposes for a bunch of different aspects. Now I kind of mentioned this at the beginning, but can you talk a little bit about how becoming an author or writing a book falls in with modern survivalism? Yeah, absolutely. Oh gosh, absolutely. So I have no doubt they were up against a trillion dollar a year propaganda machine, basically from birth all the way through death. Uh, that is really hard to combat. So if you want to live a life that's more free, if you want to survive in a world that, you know, for lack of a better word, we have a, a lot of a lot of tyranny in this world. Um, if you want to structure your life better so that you can survive better or so that you can live a better life, it's really hard to do if you don't have the information on how to do that. So number one, most importantly, I talk a lot about liberty on my show. Most importantly, for liberty, if you don't know about it and no one tells you what it is, it's really hard to find. Hmm. So sharing that message is good for survivalism and it's good for community building and it's hard to build a community when you don't have liberty there. So much of that is all tied together. Um, not to mention... You can have the best product or service in the world, but if nobody knows it exists, you probably won't make any sales. So uh, it's, it's a really important, I think, life skill set to be able to tell your story, to share information, to possibly make some money from it, um, and just to know how to, to tell a coherent story and get that information out in a long format paper medium, whether it's paper or written like in an email or a document. I think it's a good life skill to say, I have this idea in my head. How do I get this down in black and white and give it to someone else? I think it's a really good skill set to have. It could make you money, which is great for your, your liberty. The more money you have, it's a lot easier to find that liberty and that lifestyle that you want. Um, when they tell you, guess what? Sorry, you're furloughed or you're fired. Go home. Have a good one. If you've already written a book or two or three, you're probably at a point where you can go, you know what? Great. I just got a three-month-long vacation. Let's crack open the laptop. Let's get another two or three books out. And these are going to be self-published. They're going to be written for the purpose of making money. So I'm going to write to the right audience. I'm going to write quickly. I'm going to get them pushed out. I'm going to do the marketing. So there are so many different ways that this can help you with your modern survivalism, your preparedness, and, and with your liberty in general. It's, it's really good to get that information out there. Very cool. And I think like the other thing I would add to that is like if you have several books already and you get laid off, the first thing you should do is get heavily into marketing your existing mm -hmm. product, right? I mean, turn as much profit as you can as quickly as you can because I find a lot of people focus on the making rather than the marketing. And I see that not just in books. I see it in everything. Like, so you write a book, you get it out there, start to sell a little bit, go write another book. That's valuable because everybody that buys your first book, assuming it doesn't suck, is mm -hmm. a targeted customer to buy your next book. But... Products don't sell themselves. We'd love them to, but they don't. Like, work in your business, right? Work work within it, but also work on it. And make sure that what you have is being properly marketed. Because they feed each other. So the more yeah. I do a good job of marketing my first book, the bigger that follow-up market is for my second. Plus the more money I have. And I, I've always said life is like a shit sandwich. The more bread you have, the less shit you have to eat, right? I mean, that's, that's just... That's just plain and simple. I mean, that's just the way it is. Absolutely, yeah. And I got to be on the the stuff that I've heard on this show. Well, the reason I wanted to do this interview with you was I I was wanting wanting to write, and I had started to write. 
And I went back through your archives and I searched every term of author and every term writer and all these interviews you did with people. And I didn't find a lot on how to write. All I heard was, hey, this is my book. This is about the book. Hey, this is my book series, which is great. And I loved all those as well. I've listened mm -hmm. multiple times to a lot of your author's stories. Um, but I really wanted to share with this audience because I'm a member of it. I wanted people to know how do I get this done and what can I expect along the way? Because it, it's a little bit, it makes you a little bit anxious when you don't know what to expect. So if I knew ahead of time, have this ready, have that ready, know what you want out of it, know how to prepare that, you know, know expect how long it'll take, you know, th that would have helped me a lot. So I wanted to give back a little bit to the community on this one. Well, very cool. Do you have any advice for people who are right now thinking about writing a book? Yes. So uh, this one's kind of dark, but it's from a friend <laughs> of mine. Uh, Traver Bohm, who he wanted, he has a project right now where he helps men kind of be more whole and more full men. And he was talking to a friend of his about a book that he wanted to write. And he was talking about it and talking about it and talking about it. And his friend basically said, you know, someone's going to wake up in the morning and they're either going to reach for a gun to put to their head or they're going to reach for your book to help them. And your book doesn't exist yet. Hmm. And he went, oh my God. And I was already in the process of writing at that time, and I was kind of taking my time and dragging my feet, and I thought, oh, crap. <laughs> so not that my book is about um, self-care or self-help, but uh, even if your book is about a laugh and helping someone find some humor, because honestly, I was in Guantanamo Bay for nine months nonstop with no breaks, no going home, no vacation. And I read a uh, just a fiction series of like 10 or 12 books, and I read from very start to very finish, and it became a part of my life, and I'm really thankful that I had something like that to kind of keep me occupied at night when I had nothing else going on. So whether you want to help people or spread liberty or teach someone how to do something or just give someone a laugh, my advice is get over yourself. It's not going to be perfect. You're, someone is going to reach for your book, whether it's for a laugh or for advice or to help them do something, and the book doesn't exist yet until you get off your ass and you write it. Hmm. So that's number one. Um, tip number one, start right now. Uh, writing might not be for you. So I had to make many, many sacrifices for at least the three years that I was writing. I made a lot of sacrifices, and I paid the price for it in many areas of my life. Um, I'm glad that I did this. This was inside of me. It's my passion. I had to share it with the world. I'm very happy with the product, and I'm, I'm very passionate about it. Uh, but I took the toll. There were a lot of dates I missed. Uh, there were a lot of times where I was um, in public with friends of mine or loved ones, and my mind was elsewhere, and I thought, oh, yeah, let me write that down for my book later. And it just, it's a really, really long process. And you, you can't do it while you're watching TV and working on your book and watch, like you have to dedicate time to it. Cause like we said, so many of these adjustments and corrections, they're very intricate and they carry through the whole book. So it takes a lot of focus and a lot of time. So writing might not be for you. So number one, if it's for you, start right now. If it's not for you, like determine whether it's for you or not. So that's some of my advice. Very cool, man. So I know you wanted to talk about how to write a book and how to get published and how to make it part of your life and not really pitch your book. But you do have a new book out. So let's talk a little bit about your book itself. What is it? Uh, what does it teach people and where can they find it? The book is, God, I got goosebumps. I've been, I've been picturing being on the show for several years now. and I'm kind of cracking in my voice a little bit. So uh, I guess I should start by saying, Jack, you're a jerk, officially. I have been listening to you for a long, long time, and the book probably would not have been written and definitely wouldn't have been as good if I wasn't a member of this community. So thank you for all the advice you've been sharing. Um, you've made my life better 
for when times get tougher, even if they don't. So thank you for that. Uh, the book title is Tactical Lockpicking. It's got a long subtitle, uh, A Systemized Approach for Responding to Locked Obstacles During Emergencies. That's what it's all about. And again, it fits several different bills. Uh, I want people that haven't heard of me or haven't heard of my course to read it and go, oh, that sounds good. Let me sign up for a course of his. Uh, I wanted to add it to all my students just to hand them a thumb drive and go, here you go. Here's 300 pages of, of really deep content either, you know, that you can take with you forever after this course is over. And it's broken down into about 23, 24 chapters, and half of them are case studies of me doing these entries in the field and shaping the skill set and succeeding and failing because we learn a lot from our failures too. And then about half of the chapters are principles or guidelines or patterns that you can expect that you can build those guidelines into your approach so that when you find yourself locked out of an obstacle, it's not, hey, I have this tool, I have this lock, do I pair them together? Yes, no. That's really, really, really a basic approach. And unfortunately, a lot of people in the tactical world, they teach that way. I teach the diagnosis and the systemized approach, which is, yes, here's how a tool and a lock pair together. However, comma, when you walk up to an obstacle, here is a, here is a guideline that lays out the order of operations of how do I make the fastest, the most effective and efficient entry? Because those aren't always the same thing. Mm. And I, I try and keep people from getting tunnel vision and I want people to have the highest chances for success when they find themselves on one side of a locked ob locked obstacle that they need to get through. Well, very cool. And, and again, the main website is uncensoredtactical.com. Pat, I thank you for taking some time to spend with us today and, and letting people know about uh, how they, too, can become a published author. And I, I wish you the best uh, with your new book. And, uh, again, thanks for being with us today. Thanks, Jack. I'm really honored to be here. I appreciate it. Really enjoyed having Pat on today, and uh, I think one of the takeaways from this is whether it's because he said like writing is not for everybody, or publishing a book is not for everybody. Uh, but I'll tell you what I do think is for everybody: something of your own that can make you money, even if you get cut off from your employment. You know, as Pat said, he still has a job; he's happy with it. Uh, he's in in security and law enforcement. He's moved into the private sector. I think a lot of people. Uh, I think a lot more people coming in the coming years are going to want to do that uh, that are in law enforcement right now just because of a lot of situations that are going on. But, you know, he likes his job. He doesn't want to quit. That may not always be the case, and it's nice to have something to, to move into. But there's so much value in developing something of your own that pays some sort of a dividend or secondary income stream. You know... What it makes me think back to is when I was 18 years old, I listened to a guy talk about investing. He said, you know, if you put $100 away a month for the rest of your life, you not might, but you will retire a multimillionaire. It's that simple. That's all that it takes. And yet most people don't. Most people don't. And why? Because sometimes it's hard to come up with that 100 bucks this month. If you can make a couple $300 a month extra and put that away, you can really retire a multimillionaire, and maybe a little bit earlier, and maybe not work until you're 70 or 75 or whatever the new plan is. I'm, I'm telling you, the new plan just keeps going. We're going to keep working you until you're ready to die. That, that's, that's the new plan that we're constantly – that's how we save Social Security, by not paying it to people until they die, right? <laughs> you know, So you only got to have them on Social Security for a couple months before they die. You want to take command of your own retirement and your own income and your own future. One way to do that is side hustles and entrepreneurship. So – That's a good takeaway today, whether you do it through publishing or not. With that, let's go ahead and wrap things up. Let me remind you uh, 
that if, if you do like the work that we do here, you can always do your online shopping at tspaz.com. We've already covered the item of the day, uh, so we won't we won't go more into that. But just remember that, tspaz.com, support the show and the work that we do. Um, the other thing I wanted to remind you guys about is staying up to date with TSP, including a lot of things that I do that maybe don't end up on the blog or what have you. The two best ways to do that now are the Daily Mail, So if you want to email, you can go to survivalpodcast.com, click on Daily Mail, put your name and email address in a box, hit Submit, and once a day you get an email with all the bullet points and all the things that are relevant to the show and the community. Or I think what people are really digging now is the new Telegram channel. The new Telegram channel, you install Telegram, you subscribe to that. There will be a link in the show notes today for that as well. Um, and then you, whenever I put some new content out, you just get a quick text into your Telegram account. And if you don't want... To get alerts at, for, you know, like, I don't know, you're in a meeting or something, or you just Jack's too busy, he's putting too much content out today, I'll check at the end of the day, you just turn alerts off with Telegram. It's just basically like getting a text message, but it's in Telegram, so it's not in the native text app, and you have complete control, and I might know whatever name you use to describe yourself on Telegram, but I don't have your phone number, your personal information, anything like that. You maintain complete control, and unlike the groups... Because I've had people already like, I was going to get in that group, but I did. And there are so many people talking about so many things, and that's just not me. I understand. Trust me, I turn off the alerts for that myself all the time. Um, but you do want to stay in touch with me. Well, that's what the channel will do. So consider subscribing to our Telegram channel. You know, with that, it occurs to me that I, uh, in the intro today, I didn't give you our quote of the day. So let's do that here at the end of the show. Uh, this is by John Dryden. And he said, beware the fury of a patient man. You know, there's a lot of crazy shit going on in the world today, and that's why I chose this quote for you guys today. Um, when you start re reacting with emotion, you push logic to the side, right? And, and there's so much in the world right now that's very reactionary. And what you always need to remember, you always need to remember, is that when things are put in motion and they are reactionary in nature, the people behind them are hoping that you will react to them the way that your basal instinct tells you to do. But by patiently thinking logically about what is best for you and your family, that is the way to victory. Beware the fury of a patient man from John Dryden. Uh, and now for our song of the day. The song really didn't have anything to do with the show that we did today or the topic or anything like that. It doesn't have any thing that I, I particularly picked it for, except that I just really like the song. I think I've played it for you before. It's by one of my favorite country artists, Jamie Johnson. This guy is just one of those guys that just has that voice and that ability to tell the stories that are in his songs in, in a way where you feel like it really matters to the person doing the music. And this, I think, is his best song like that. It's definitely a song that's a story. This is called In Color. And with that, it's been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. I said, Grandpa, what's this picture here? It's all black and white. And it ain't real clear as that you there. He said, yeah, I was a loving. And times were tough back in 35. That's me and Uncle Joe just trying to survive a cotton farm. Great Depression and If it looks like we were scared to death Like a couple of kids just trying to save each other 
Should have seen it in 